how do you want to feel? That is really what it is. Right. How do you want to feel? Empowered, strong, confident, gorgeous, sexy. Men, do you want to feel powerful, in control? Like, what is that feeling that's in you? Welcome back to The Art of Charm. I'm Johnny. And I'm AJ. And today on The Art of Charm podcast, we're answering your questions about first impressions. From style to body language, from judgments we have about others, to what you can do to make up for a bad first impression. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. I don't think I've ever made a bad first impression. Uh, Have you forgotten that story Aaron shared on episode 705? Uh, It all worked out, didn't it? And she said I was pretty slick. I think we may need to give Aaron credit for that one. (laughs) Of course, I'm joking. We've all struggled at one time or another with putting our best foot forward, and we have someone in the studio today to help us, as well as the questions sent in from our audience. As our audience has noticed, we've been experimenting a little bit with presenting a topic for the whole month where we get a chance to dive into a toolbox, look at some articles on a specific topic, and interview a guest, wrapping it up with a Q&A episode. Let us know what you think of the new format as we hit important topics taught at our AOC bootcamp from all angles. It's cool to change it up and challenge ourselves. Speaking of challenges, we've been talking about our Facebook challenge group and the response online has been amazing. This is a free group made up of over 17,000 members. Go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge and join today to get started. We personally are over there at least a few times a week, looking at everyone's videos. So we're excited about what we're seeing, and we're excited for all of you to continue to join. You know what? AJ, it's time for this episode to get started, so let's roll. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. 
need to hire, you need Indeed. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze your online marketing campaigns. And sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. This is our last episode for the month of June, where we explored the topic of first impressions. We started out with a toolbox episode, we delved deeply into body language, and we had a fantastic interview with author, coach, and ultra-athlete Jesse Itzler. And today, we're going to answer your questions as well as share some secrets from two style experts. To help us navigate through the questions our audience has submitted as those we receive during our boot camp weeks where first impressions is the first topic I teach, is Melissa Chatain. Melissa is based here in LA, where she's a style expert, among many other things. It's great to meet you, Melissa, and have you in studio. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in style? Oh, wow. I actually started my career in corporate healthcare marketing, which seems so far from style. But I really wasn't happy. And I, being in a corporate environment, I always felt there was a pressure to appear a certain way. And my passion was always style. So while I was working full time, I made the transition by shadowing stylists and assisting them while I had this full time job in California and eventually transitioned to be a stylist. And I worked with celebrities, worked with TV worked on movies, and really just found my passion was helping people. And this aroused after my sister unfortunately committed suicide about eight years ago. And with that happening, I realized that there was such a commitment for women to find confidence through style and self-love. And working with talent, that really being an image maker and projecting this body image and image that really wasn't authentic to who they really were, there was such a disconnect. And that's where Melissa Chetain's style was formed. I felt that there needs to be alignment where everyone could feel confident through style and love themselves. Well, I'm sure our women, uh, our female audience is going to love hearing your perspective today. 
And I also know that the the guys are going to love to hear your perspective <laughs> of at least, you know, how they can straighten up that first impression to make sure that they stick out a bit and, and get noticed. So we're excited to have you with us today. Uh, thank you. And with that being said, I just don't only work with women, but that's where my style styling started. And yeah. then now I work with men, women, do a lot of bridal and on-camera work and really just want to empower people through style, confidence and wellness. Right on. I know a lot of our audience is in that point in their career where they're thinking about a transition, thinking about leaving the corporate world. And obviously, you made quite the jump outside of the corporate environment. So I'd love to delve into that a little bit more in terms of what that transition was like for you. Were you able to get both things in the air and started? Or did you really need to just dedicate to one and make the switch to style? Well, I think the way that I did it was slowly but surely. I knew that I needed to have money coming in. So really, I had the flexibility of having a sales and marketing job where I could make my hours, but then have this evening, weekends of dedicating myself. But it really takes commitment. They're all hours of the day weekends and nights and just really putting in the time and hours. They say you need to do like, you know, 10,000 hours or something to be perfect at it. I mean, I really did put in the work, but when you want something that hard enough, you will do it. And creating a blog, building a brand. And that's what really First Impressions is about. It's building a brand and name for yourself that I really stepped away from people knowing me as Melissa Corporate Girl and really creating myself as a stylist and putting that out there into the world and uh, consulting on the side if I needed to for for extra income. But really just building that brand of, of styling and empowerment has just been my focus for the last over 10 years. And we're going to have a great question a little bit later today about that digital first impression and how important it is to present yourself well online, not just in real life. And I love that idea. I know it's something that Johnny and I talk a lot about, that commitment and pushing things aside to get that side hustle off the ground. You know, it's not about having this amazing lifestyle brand and working four hours a week and, and keeping all these things moving. If you want to start something, if you're thinking about making that shift, then you're going to have to commit time outside of your full-time job to do that and sacrifice friendships and sacrifice some of these other trips and things that your buddies are going on. You nailed it on the head. It's when people are, you know, you see on Instagram, it's the FOMO. It's when people are like going to Malibu Wines and hanging out and doing the day drinking and stuff. I'm home working. And when you're working for yourself, it's not as glamorous as you don't have that PTO. You're charging a little bit more. Clients are not banging on your door every day. You have to hustle, really. And even, for example, this Memorial Day weekend, it's like, I don't get off. I worked. So it's every day, it's a new opportunity. But then when people are sad that I'm taking a three-week vacation to Europe, (laughs) that's my vacation. So you really have to balance the ebbs and flows, but I would not have it any other way. I've created a lifestyle and dream that I've always wanted. It's always about the the willingness to allow it or to make it happen, to will it to happen. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to put in that work, and um, I loved your your anecdote of you know people hanging out in Malibu and being able to drink the wine. <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're saying. And as we've created the art of charming, and and the more successful we got, the more work we wanted to put into it because we're able to start seeing growth. And when you start to see that growth, it's just like, well, how much more can we make that happen? Yeah. I don't live for the weekend. I live for the life. Oh, absolutely. But it takes time to cultivate that growth. 
right? Mm-hmm. It's sacrifices. And, and we get asked that question and it's the same thing. We sacrifice, you know, and, and we were laughing about this. I can't remember the last time we took a Memorial Day off to just relax. Yeah, we work was- through holidays in building a business. And that's what you do when you're getting started and pushing through to get things moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone, like the first impression is the brand. Like I am my brand. And a lot of, I often find a lot of influencers, I hate that word, kind of makes me (sighs) nauseous, but they have this persona online and they have this persona in person. I'm the same person. What you see is what you get. Because Authenticity. authenticity is key. And your followers, quote unquote, air followers, followers, uh, and your customers will see right through that. Yeah. Okay. You like, who are you speaking to each day? Like that's, that's the authenticity. That's the real bread and butter of what you're doing. And I know we touched on this a little bit earlier for guys, especially it can be a little daunting or scary when we talk about wardrobe, when we talk about style and when us as men think about stylists, we're like, Oh, that's celebrity stuff. You know, that's what red carpet is. But how do I focus on my style? I don't get it. So I love to delve into that idea around, I understand that I don't have style. Where do I begin in building this wardrobe? Or maybe I've got some feedback from coworkers. Of, I got to step up my style. How do I do it? Well, I really think it's about sticking to basics and finding what's authentic to you. I don't think style has to be complicated. Simplicity is key. So finding right. things that resonate with you, looking at magazines, GQ, looking at those magazines that like that you like, and then going to Nordstrom Rack and finding something that is in that realm, right? okay? But sticking to style basics, like black blazer is never going to go out of style, you know? A clean button down, a Henley shirt, those things never really go out of style. So knowing your space and dressing for your work environment, that those are classics. So I really encourage my clients to just stick within a capsule wardrobe, really, per se, and then really stick to maybe 80% capsule, and then maybe 20% sprinkle in a trend here or there, but really not varying too much from that. And investing in quality. I really don't encourage fast fashion. Number one, it's horrible for the environment. (laughs) It's unethical. But just sticking within quality basics and what works for you. It doesn't have to be crazy and what celebrities are wearing all the time. Number one, that's mostly unattainable and off the runway, but really classic styles and cuts never go out of style. And then you can build off of that, right? That's where the 20% comes That's from. Now we can let our personality shine. Now you can once get that fucky have... pair of tennis shoes exactly. or something and go bold with that one crazy shirt that you save for that weekend in Vegas. Okay, <laughs> But really just sticking right. with what's comfortable for you never really goes out of style. And coming from the corporate space, you don't think of style in corporate life, right? You think of more office space, stuffy. You don't have much really room to showcase your personality. So in that environment, how can we still be stylish if our work demands that we dress a certain way? Ah, that's where you have fun with accessories. For gentlemen, adding in that pocket square or finding personality with your socks or adding um, your watch, maybe adding a bracelet. There's little ways here and there or shoes. You can play with your style through your ties. That's how you show your personality. That's the conversation piece that someone will catch in a meeting that's going to make you stand out. And that's the pieces that you can invest in, Right. okay? So that's how you show your personality. Coming into a meeting, so especially, I was just work, working with a client in San Francisco, and he is in the tech space, and he's applying for a couple jobs, okay? He's a VP right now, applying right. in the tech space. So he's applying for 
bunch of positions and he had an interview and he was bored with what he was going to wear. So he's like, all right, I'm going to just go into the interview, white shirt, no jacket. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what it is in San Fran, in the tech space. Yeah. So no, you at least need a suit. Okay, invest in a nice suit. So I got him a nice blue suit, white shirt, crisp white Hugo Boss shirt. He wasn't going to do a pocket square. So what are you going to do to stand out? Okay, nice lace-up Oxford, at least a colored pocket square. So that's the conversation piece right. that's going to make it pop. They don't do ties up there for interviews, which I still think I was like pushing for the tie. But he said that. So that's his conversation. Right. That's the pop that's going to make him stand out so he's remembered. And then an excellent briefcase. Invest in the bag. Those are the details. So when you walk into a room, that's what someone's going to look at. What is your shoe like? Is it polished? What right. is your sock like? Believe it or not, people look at you from the ground up. So it's the shoe, the sock, the nice bag, the pocket square, the watch. Those are the details. You go out to shake the hand. That's what someone's looking at. So that's how he stood out. And then guess what? He got the job. But it's that. So each interview, so it was that. The next time we switched up the jacket, okay? okay. The next the interview, it was like, okay, then he had drinks with this individual. So it's like he had denim, but then he had um, a printed blazer with a little bit of a, the plaid pattern. Okay. So it's like each time he had a little bit of something that was different that made him stand out. And he, he got a compliment of how well put together he was. Yeah. So it's each step... Besides going into an interview, just like simple, plain white shirt. Next time it was the light blue shirt with slight texture. So it's the tiny little details that in the effort that he put into his wardrobe that made him stand out and feel a bit more confident. It's the confidence. Yeah. Style has that ability. And when we talk about first impressions, right, it's very visual for us when we're seeing someone for the first time and those little details, they stand out. Mm -hmm. And we love to say... How you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. So if you're being thoughtful with your wardrobe, you're going to be thoughtful in the work environment. You're going to be a thoughtful employee. You're going to be paying attention to detail. So that's the message we want to send on that job interview. Mm -hmm. I'd love some advice for our female listeners who are also in that corporate environment and want to stand out. And they're pretty much in the same boat, right? They don't have much room to work with. Yes. Well, I think, you know, women get stuck. I, for, I'll speak, for example, I when I had my first corporate job, my dad took me to Marshall Fields. I don't know. This is defunct. It's like a nicer Macy's bought them yeah. out. It was a really elegant shop in Chicago. Okay. That's where I'm from. Yeah, and we're it was like, Detroit, Pittsburgh. Oh, so, so I you know. understand. I okay. Understand. So then I had this like really square suit and it had a skirt option. So boxy. So uncomfortable. So get something that's form-fitting. So instead of going with the basic white button down, maybe get a, um, they call it a pussy bow, but like a tie blouse that's a little bit more elegant in a chiffon and then a pencil skirt. And a, if it, you can't do a peep toe heel, but a sling back or a dorsay pump, which is different than a basic black pump. Right. Okay. Pop of color some way. But the details, what Instead of doing like the classic French manicure, definitely have your nails painted, but don't do red. Avoid red lipstick, um, neutral colors on the face, avoid a heavy perfume, and then keep your hair simple. Standard, don't do a hoop earring, but I always say a signature diamond stud goes a long way. Even if you can't afford the diamonds, go with the cubic zirconium, but 
simplicity and classic always goes a long way. Think like a channel Audrey Hepburn. So it's the little details and you don't have to show your personality, you know, going so full force. But if even if you are doing a button down shirt, add a silk scarf with a print. It's a little Parisian, a little uh, fashion forward, but it makes you stand out. So that's a way you can like dress up something super basic, but it's like standing out with your personal style, which will give you a little bit more confidence. Yeah. And I know that job interview can be very stressful when we're thinking about what to wear and how to make that first impression with the person interviewing us. But the most important thing is to pick and plan your outfits before your interview, step into your outfit and walk around your apartment or house before you even are stepping out the door, break in your shoes, put some padding in your shoes. Like there's a spray that I love called pre-heels that prevents blisters and rubbing. Use that, you know, add any shoe padding and stuff before your interview. So you feel comfortable. You want to wear that outfit around your house because you don't want what you're wearing and feeling comfortable to be the de facto that you're thinking about. Gosh, my feet hurt. Oh gosh, my bra is digging into my shirt or, oh gosh, I wore the wrong boxers today. Like you don't want anything to be a detractor from you coming across as your best self. Right. So all of those key factors should be implemented before you even step out the door or get dressed that day. That is how I believe that first impressions should be implemented. I wish I had that advice when I was applying to grad school because I, <laughs> I remember I had five interviews in a row and I just bought new shoes with my suit. No, worst idea ever. (laughs) I put them on and raced out the door and I get there and my feet were killing me. And by the (laughs) afternoon, my feet were bleeding and it was all I could think about. So understanding that if you're going to wear this to an interview, you want to have worn it before the interview. So you do that preparation. Break them in. You just have to be comfortable in yourself and be comfortable in your outfit, you know? And I want to talk about that idea of style building confidence because a lot of our listeners, they found the Art of Charm because they're trying to build that social confidence and they want to stand out in a networking environment. They also want to stand out socially for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear some of the transformations that your clients have undergone to build that confidence through their wardrobe. Ah, well, I believe that style should be for everyone despite your size, shape, color, And one of my favorite transformations is uh, this mother of three that I worked with last year. And she just never put herself first. And she reached out to me on Facebook and said, I want to give myself a makeover. Okay. Um, I want to work with you. So I thought it was just going to be about style. But it ended up being more about her putting on makeup. And she never wore makeup. This woman has like the most immaculate skin I've ever seen, okay, never knew how to put a color, like makeup on her face ever, would wear these really baggy jeans. She worked for her her brother's construction company. Okay. Like really wore baggy jeans, never form-fitting clothes. She was mother three. Her oldest is, or was I think 22 at the time, but just never put herself first and wanted to get back out dating. And 
the before and after, I, I will show you guys, I'll email you a pic of her wearing boxy baggy clothes and then a form-fitting dress. You would not believe it was the same person. Uh-huh. And just to show, like, she just was really insecure about, like, her legs and didn't think she had pretty legs. And I'm like, if I had this body, I would be walking around naked. Like, you don't understand how hot she is. I'm like, she just had this, like, fear. But, you know, she said that I saw your Instagram and you just, or your Facebook and your Instagram, you popped up as, like, super confident. And I love how you work with clients. And I just knew you were the person for me. I was just so flattered. But just the thought that she just didn't deserve to Uh be happy and didn't deserve to love herself and didn't deserve to be confident was just, it hurt my heart. And I wanted her to feel confident. I didn't want to put her in something that it was a costume and then she just would never wear it again. So it was a, a small transition of how do you feel good with for yourself on a daily basis. So it wasn't like now you're going to go from zero makeup to a hundred, but like finding a little lip gloss and taking a moment to do a little self-care for herself and daily affirmations. Because working with me is not just about transitioning from wearing clothing and just feeling great. It's it's really about the mental state, mindfulness and appreciating your self-worth and then cracking into the style. Right. Because style without confidence is just a costume. So it's those little steps that really got her to where she is now. That's phenomenal. And I, I know a lot of our audience is sitting there saying, yeah, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about my style or taking care of myself. Sometimes they're givers in that they're taking care of their family members, they're taking care of their significant others, and they don't have that time to really dedicate to improving their look. But it can have such a huge impact in the way you feel about yourself and the way people interact with you. Yeah. The thing that I've realized is mothers and fathers themselves take care of their kids and they all about, they're all about their children and their cup is half full, but their children are watching this is saying mom and dad don't take care of themselves, but that's what they're giving their kids and their kids are going to repeat that. You have to fill your cup before you fill anyone else's cup. My dad was one of those people who as growing up, I've never, ever seen him own a real pair of shoes. Like for him, outside of work, going into the factory and having the shoes that he wore to go to work, his recreation shoes were the cheapest flip-flops he could get from Kmart because he had felt because he didn't want to take away from what he could give to the kids. But of course, me growing up was like, I will never, ever own those pair of flip-flops. That's kind of like my mom. My parents are from Haiti and they're just really modest and she just never would like be frivolous because everything was for us to like put us through the best school and like private school, you know, 18 years of ballet and like all the sacrifice, which I certainly appreciate. Of course. Yeah. Self-care. I mean, oh, she was always presentable and God, she was gorgeous. But like that self-care, like she was just always just buy cheaper things where I'm like investment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She would rather shop at 99 cent store (laughs) than like go buy like the $3 Ziploc bag, you know, but like... (laughs) My dad had come out to visit me in November, and my we went for a hike, and I had to give him tennis shoes and things like that. Because still to this day, he's wearing these stupid flip flops. Oh, and my little sister had saw a picture of us on the canyon, and she's like, 
where the hell did he get shoes? <laughs> I was like, he got them from, <laughs> from my closet. So he got them. It's about time. He's like moving on up, finally gets the shoes. But see, but like, that's the thing. Like, I just, I guess it can go both ways. Yes. But like, there's that thing where like people don't want to take care of themselves. But going back to like the first impressions and, and giving, it's how do you want to feel? That is really what it is. Right. How do you want to feel? Empowered? Strong, confident, gorgeous, sexy men. Do you want to feel powerful, in control? Like, what is that feeling that's in you? And when you work with me, like, what would be the outcome that you would be successful? Like, how would you, if if this was the end, like, what would be the success point? What is that? What does that look like? And then when you're thinking about your goals, because that should align with your first impressions, like, especially with the art of charm when you're, when right. they're done, like what would be the aha moment? Right. What does that look like? And that should be everyone's every day. Like when I get up and I'm manifesting after my meditation and I'm writing down my, you know, in a year, this is what my life will look like. That's really a practice of mine. And I encourage my clients to do this. What does that look like? You should be able to taste it. You smell it, yes. feel it. That is the manifestation of style, confidence, mindfulness. If you believe it, you will achieve it. I know this sounds like woohoo-y, you know, secret. It doesn't, it's not religious. It's just. Well, the power of visualization. The power of visualization. It's, it's just incredibly it important. If you don't know where you want to go, then it's very hard for you to take steps in the right direction. Exactly. And it's hard for me to work with a client and it's like, I just want to look hot. Right. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> that can be, that's so, that's, that's going to be. It's missing the point. Exactly. So what, what does that look like? Right. What does that first impression look like? So understanding the message we want to send. And this yes. is a great moment for the audience to pause for a second and think about what is the message that you're looking to send with the clothes that you're currently wearing? And is it in alignment? Yeah. I know for us, you know, when we first moved from New York to L.A., we were wearing very New York-driven clothes. And a lot of people looked at us as like, they're out-of-towners. They're not L.A. Now when we travel, we look so L.A., they could spot us from a mile away. So there are the local trends and setting the message of also what tribe do you want to belong to? And I know Johnny's a big believer in this, that your clothes are— allow people to know what tribe you identify with based on the message you're sending. So understanding that, are you sending the right message with your clothes? And is it in alignment with the way you want to be perceived by the world? I find this, especially since online dating is such a hot point. When I was single, I really, when I was really looking, not looking, but ready, really ready to find a partner. I wasn't looking anymore. I was just ready for the next step. I stopped the online BS, okay? I think Tinder was out for like two months and I was like, okay, this is a hot mess because all these guys were like, I want to meet, you're hot. And then I'd be like, okay, let's meet. And then they were like, shade. They like disappeared. I was like, what is this thing? Like, I don't understand this app. But like when I was really ready to just be like, okay, I'm ready to find my person and my partner, I decided to be the person I wanted to be with because what did that look like? And I was like, okay, well, I want someone who is mindful, that loves yoga, that is kind, that gives back, that's involved in community. Like, I just wanted to be the person I wanted to be with. And I started doing those things and stopped thinking about 
the swipe or stops thinking about like when I was being when I was at the bar or going out, I stopped looking around for someone else and just became present. And then I just walked into a dinner party that was like a setup and then I was set up and then I was with my husband from that day forward and that's almost five years. So but it's I think that once people stop looking, it's just that mindfulness, like that right. is being present. So what does that look like? So I encourage people, especially gentlemen that are looking for their partners, especially in LA, maybe you're not looking because it seems like no guys are looking, says my single girlfriends. But right. you know, think about that. That's my two cents. <laughs> so I want to thank everyone who sent in questions. We got a lot of great questions here. I got one in my email from John Shell. He says, Hey AJ. I'm a longtime listener. Love, love, love your podcast. My question is, I find myself in a lot more networking events. I know this is a prime way to meet a future collaborator or boss or even employee. And a lot of times it's me walking into an established circle and introducing myself. Any tips regarding approach, body language, what to and not to say? And I know there's a few things we got to unpack here, but that approach, as we talked about earlier this month, that is your first impression. So the the health going into it, that foundation, do you feel really confident in your body? Then the body language component that we delved into deeply in a previous episode, looking at, are you wearing a smile? Are you present? Are you engaged in that situation? Especially when you're entering established circles where you're sort of an outsider and you want to make a great first impression. Along with that introduction of yourself, people are looking at your body language. They're judging the way you're standing. Are you closed off? Are you crossing your arms or are you open? These are signals that people are using to judge your openness and your ability to be engaging in that situation. So that's the body language stuff that we focus on. And then when it comes to what to say and not to say, our clothes are saying something as well and taking some time to be thoughtful about your clothes. And for your clients who are in that networking situation, what are some things that you tell them to focus on with their outfits and what they're wearing? Well, I I would definitely know your audience. If it's a event for attorneys, dress more on the conservative side. Right. It's an event for creatives. You have a little bit more wiggle room. So know your audience, dress for your audience. But I said before, plan your outfit ahead of time, have a repertoire, like have a go-to that you feel comfortable in. I always right. have a go-to for a fashion event or so I know what I'm exactly what I'm going to wear. And I say go that route more than anything else. Right. So I'm assuming if it's more for him, if it's a more business event, you can't go wrong with a blazer. <laughs> It's yeah. always it's always better to be overdressed than underdressed. It's so cliche, but it is so true. And I know for us, we finally got some custom suits, and we've been wearing them in LA. And LA is not a very suit town. But yeah. I feel great. We feel great. Yeah, being overdressed. Always it's not as intimidating as it sounds. No, you'll look like the best person in the room, and you'll shine. So yeah, definitely say suit, overdressed, and underdressed, and stand tall. Posture is everything. Yeah. So. You know, shoulders back, chest up, walk in with a smile and read the room for body language. If people, the mimicking way of looking at things, like if someone mimic the room, if how someone's moving, mimic their way, because that makes people feel more at ease. That's the way to approach them too. So not being jarring with your actions, like jarring to stick your arm out, but just feel the way that their their intention is. Mimic them. I want to add that. 
this was a tip that I picked up online a, a number of years ago now, trying to gear up for my own networking opportunities. And the tip was approach two people who are already in conversation. And it sounds counterintuitive, but in a networking event, everyone's trying to meet everyone. So if they're in a conversation, that's a great segue for them, to, one of them to exit the conversation versus walking up to someone who's not talking to anyone. That's a more intimidating approach. So entering a conversation that's already started, standing open there, making great eye contact with everyone. And eye contact is very important for getting people's attention and then allowing that graceful exit for one person. And now you're in a great conversation can be an excellent strategy when we're networking. He talks about what to say and what not to say. Are there any ideas that you have here, Johnny, on where he should take his conversation? Well, before we get to the conversation, I mean, if he knows that he has a, a networking event coming up, we all know how great we feel and the smile that we're going to put on when we get a new a new cut, when we get some new clothes. So if you know it's coming up, treat yourself so you're feeling as, as good as you want to be showing that you're feeling. And then also, for guys... I think the most difficult thing is to understand how a fitted or a more expensive brand that is nice fabric can allow you to feel for guys like a shirt's a shirt. And that's, it's a very easy mindset to get into. But if you end up spending a little bit more money for something that's more fitted or that has nicer material, it's going to have you feeling a different way. It's going to have you acting in a, in a certain way, but going along with with getting that cut, having the nice clothes, you yourself, you're setting yourself up so that you're going to be more comfortable and smiling and standing up tall if you're feeling important, if you're feeling good. Absolutely. And I, I, I know agree. that we have a standing appointment with our hairstylist <laughs> to make sure that we're looking and feeling our best. And obviously, we're going on camera a lot. We're doing a lot of the uh, videos at the company and then also teaching in front of the room where people are looking at us. And that's one thing that a lot of us, going back to that self-care point, right? We'll let our haircuts slide. We'll let our nails grow a little long. We don't pay close attention to the grooming. And that sends the signal right? The most well-groomed, you're going to stand out for the right reasons versus letting yourself go. It's interesting to me because he's like, what to say and what not to say. And to your point, Johnny, of taking a step back, I also want to think about how to be a better listener and being present. Because a lot of times when we queue up what to say, oh, I want to go in, I want to lead the conversation here, I want to direct it on these topics and avoid these topics, we can get so in our heads, overthink it, and not be present enough to actually listen to the conversation. Well, and for for the guys out there who are very analytical and have processes for anything, you start thinking about what can I say, and it's it automatically leads to then what do I say next? Right. Then what do I say after that? And what if they say this? What then where do I lead this? And then before you know it, you're so in your head of all these different things going on, you can't fully be present in in the scenario in the event and in itself and then of course you're just going to bug yourself out because you have all these things flying around in your head then you get awkward <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you nailed it yeah <laughs> oh, so it's so good and allowing the conversation to happen instead of trying to mold it ahead of time definitely and understanding you know i go to a lot of networking events and i can't tell you how many people are just walking around and having a one-way conversation they're just blasting their pitch yes, at you. Are. They're not listening to you at all. They don't care if you're the right person for the pitch or not. They just got to get it out. And that is why people hate networking. They hate this idea of glad handing and exchanging business cards. And then at the end of the day, it's like, well, what am I going to do with all these people who just pitched me? So understanding that, and we, we have an episode on this elevator pitch. We'll link it in the, the notes on the show here. 
definitely having a short pitch about what do you do and, and what you're about is important, but not looking to just go in there and blast it out to everyone, allowing that opportunity to listen to other people's pitch. And that's how we're going to find those points of engagement. And most importantly, I mean, if you take your mind off of the things of what to say or how to get this out and all those other things, and you focus on what really matters and making a good connection, uh, smiling, being positive, enjoying where you're at, people are going to remember that. They're going to remember how you ma- allowed them to feel. And so they're going to take interest so that you will have another opportunity to give a full press pitch that is more calculated and more thoughtful and more thought through rather than you just trying to slam everybody with some some sort of quick thing that you've put together all night. I think you nailed it on the head about it's how you make people feel. <laughs> no one remembers yeah. the the pitch. It's about how you made them feel. And that's the most important thing in any first impression. It's that how you made them, that that ending reaction. It's the most beautiful part. And th- don't word vomit them. All right. <laughs> and the last thing I want to leave John with here, which is really important, is understand that one good connection from a networking event is the goal. It's not getting 30 phone numbers. It's not wowing everyone. One solid connection, one great conversation, and you've had a wonderful networking experience. And I know that sounds like, AJ, that's not enough for me. I, I'm a perfectionist. I want more. Listen, these networking events, and he says multiple, it's a small room. You're going to run into these people again. So focusing on one great connection instead of trying to wow everyone is actually a strategy for success. Well, and how many times as we go through our classes Guys will come through and they have this idea that when they go home, and it's usually the younger guys because they just want to go after everything and just knock it out of the park. They find themselves going home and putting this pressure on themselves to run the room, to meet everyone at the bar, to be to be that guy. And that's great. And sometimes when you work really hard at these things, those nights will happen where it seems magic and you've met everyone and you've been super social and, and had the spotlight. But to put that much pressure on yourself every time that you got, go out is just ridiculous, which prompts you to shut down. And here in the networking events, it's the same thing. And then, of course, if you just focus on one or two connections, you're, you're in. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. That is completely amazing, and that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether it's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, 
or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm. And use code charm at checkout. We received a call from Ryan who asked an interesting question about online first impressions. Let's listen to Ryan. And Melissa, please give us your thoughts. Hey, AJ and Johnny, this is Ryan. Um, I had a question about first impressions. Um, my question is, uh, I know people form first impressions uh, really early on, like uh, once they just see you. Um, but I also saw like a study that people uh, will form a first impression if they see a picture of you. So with uh, social media and the um, interconnectedness of uh, technology and stuff nowadays, we need to think about our social media profile like that. What tips do you have for someone especially someone who doesn't use social media very much, to have a great first impression uh, online. Thanks. Bye. Such a great question. Right now, social media is so powerful. Employers are looking at it as a means to hire you. Potential clients are viewing your social media profile to see if they want to work with you. So yeah, your social media profile is incredibly important. So what I say is what I said before, view everything that you put online as a reflection of your personal brand. It's a reflection of you. So your profile picture, your headline, that's you. So yes, first impressions are important. So is that profile picture a reflection of what you're doing? Do you have a beer in your hand? Do you have a hot girl in that profile? Is that what you want to put out into the world? Be mindful of it. Uh, I don't necessarily suggest unless that's part of your brand to have a professional profile and then you look completely different in person, maybe not, but be confident and be authentic. Right now, even for me, it's a little different than what I normally have. I just putting these crazy fun hair extensions is a fun summer thing, but my natural hair is cut and natural hair is like a bob. And so it was a little different for me to step out of my comfort zone, but I'm actually doing this as a social experiment to see how it would be treated differently as a woman of color to have a completely more ethnic look when I normally have straight hair. So it's been interesting for me to have a different play with it, but also see how I'm treated differently being the social tones as a woman of color. So this is experiment really, but all of my profile, all my branding is I look different because I have a different hairstyle, but to take that step further, normally my brand is different online of what I look like. You see me, I normally have short hair, but reflect who you are online with who you are in person. And with your social media profile, it's not just your picture. Right. It's your content. Does it match on all profiles? Is your Twitter, 
your LinkedIn, your Facebook is in alignment. So viewing yourself as a brand outside of work, you are your work. Right. People are looking at your resume as not just the paper that you sent. No one's getting jobs like that anymore. I think Gary Vee said it best in his book, Crushing It, that you are your brand. And you should be building a brand from the start. Yes. Like from the start of your profile on social media, on online. So yes, the question is first impressions are everything of how you look, but reflection of the copy on your profile. Well, so, one, yeah. one thing you mentioned earlier that we didn't, that you left out in that one, which was even dating. So oh, yeah. if, if you're doing Tinder, the first thing is like to go on that person's uh, Instagram or get their Facebook so you can go through their <laughs> through yeah. their profile just to see if they're negative, what they have going on. I know for myself, I'm not if I go through somebody's social media and it's negative or nasty or it just seems that they're in drama all the time, like that's a skip over. There's I'm not <laughs> inquiring in that any further. Yeah. So. Yeah. And some of us had obviously the freak out with Cambridge Analytica and privacy. Yeah. Look at your privacy settings and yeah. you shouldn't be sharing your party photos publicly. No. Some of you right now might be doing that, but those party photos with the beer in hand, with you on the boat, they might be great for your friends, but future employers are looking at these things. Interviewers are looking at these things. And if it's easily accessible to see party AJ, then is that what you want associated with your personal brand? Yes. And a lot of us don't realize that. We're just like, oh, you know, I'll post this so my friends can see it. And, oh, I just definitely got to hide my family. I don't want my parents to see this. But future employers are looking at this. They're not just engaging with your LinkedIn. And if you have a strong online brand, you set yourself apart from other job candidates. Well, they're going to be investing in you. They want to make sure that what they're investing is, is has got it together and it's going to be well worth it. And we have clients much like this guy who essentially have no online persona whatsoever. And they're like, oh, I just don't touch it. It's like, you still need no, something. Even you if you don't something. engage with it, put up a couple photos, put up a little bit of self-image online so that you're not just that blank Facebook photo. You're not just that anonymous person because that is also that leery is also for people. Leery. I have to be honest with <laughs> you. So my husband, he's, he's a little bit older. He comes from the old school of I hate online. Why do... I have to have this profile. Yeah. This is my business. I don't like how I have to have my personal life on there. Why isn't any right. of anyone's business what I do? And I made his Facebook profile when, when we were dating. <laughs> and he was like, this is the only reason I have a Facebook. And then he's an entrepreneur and he, he owned a store for a long time. And now he's consulting. And I said to him, you have to build an online profile. I made him put up a LinkedIn. And I said, you are as good as your last project. That is something for right. everyone out there who's like an entrepreneur, air quotes, or in, that wants to have a business or brand. You are as good as your last project. People are going to look and see what have you done lately? So I encouraged him and pushed him to build an online brand, to put pictures up, to build a presence, because that really matters. People are looking. What clients right. have you worked with? Who are you connected with? Because now it was funny, even to me, millennials... And I hate that because I'm I'm not a millennial, but I do hate that because it, they're they're interesting to me. Mm. Reached out to me last week, a millennial girl I met, and was like, "Oh, your stylist? What's your Insta?" And I was like, "Well, here's my card. No, your Insta is everything. 
that's where it is. Even oh, yeah. that. And I thought it was so absurd to me because my Insta is a brand, but it's, I do empowerment and everything. I don't keep all of my portfolio on my Instagram. My portfolio is right. on my website. But that's where it's turning. Like it or not, 1984 is happening. And for those of you who don't know, 1984 is a book. But like I said, your profile is happening online and you need to really put it out there because it affects everything in your life. I've tried to resist every social media invention from the beginning of these things, but they drag you into them before you know it. It's like you're only going to be able to work in certain areas if you have these things. I remember even dreading MySpace and of course dreading then it was Facebook I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I'm okay I'm doing it and then it was Twitter I'm not doing it I'm not uh, okay and now of course I think the last one was Instagram Instagram I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I here's my Instagram you can find Same. them AOC Johnny I'm gonna follow you I have a I have a hard time doing Insta stories because I like my private time. Yeah. I don't like to show everything. I think I showed my Insta story on Saturday when I was working with my client, but then I went dark because I just wanted my private time this weekend and to have the balance between my husband and I in our private life and still be there for my followers and the gram. I just like, I need that balance. I'm, a, right. I'm an extrovert introvert okay. because I like to, you know, I have to be out there and I'd like to be out there and social and support people, but I need to recharge my and fill my cup. Right. So I find it difficult to be out there, but it's part of the beast. Yeah, well, I, I've had to get comfortable with, you know, posting this picture. And, and now I'm just so now I just I've gotten used to it. So I just do it. And if anyone says anything, I'm like, and, and what are they going to say? Because everybody's doing it. But I, it's still in the back of my head, like, oh, you're posting another <laughs> workout picture. Oh, you're posting another picture of your food. Oh, you're p- <laughs> posting another picture of you on stage. Oh, yeah, they're the things I love. They're the things I like. But it took forever where the younger generation, your favorites, the millennials, are <laughs> they're accustomed to it out of the gate. There is no getting used to it. That's just what they do. They live their lives online. And it's... Even for myself, I'm at 44. It's mind blowing to me to see how comfortable they are with it, and Same. it's and I I'm, I have to work to just put some of these things on just so that I feel like I'm participating and in, uh, in the whole thing. No, my husband's 40, sexy, 46, <laughs> 46, 40, like sexy. We call it 40 I sexy. I remember that when that comes up for myself. Yes. And it's hard for him, like exactly like you. He just refuses and or is super resistant. So I like have to remind him to post or or like create the grid for him of like yeah. how things need to be. And but it's okay to be that way. I think it's better to be that way. But as long as it's authentic to you, like it is, mm-hmm. to put post what it is, is that's how you create a beautiful brand that speaks to your audience. Well, you know, I'm very I choose what I'm posting. I'm very methodical about it and plot it all out. I'm like, oh, okay, I think this will send the right message. I think this will definitely not send the right message. <laughs> I find it interesting how millennials will throw everything about their lives, the good, the bad, the complaining. Well, now there's and that's Rinsta's, why there's that question. Which are real Instagram. So everyone has their fake Instagram where it's curated and it looks amazing. And then their Insta, they only share, they make private and they share with their friends. So I can see Johnny's biohacking photos and I can see the sillier stuff, but it's walled off from those potential employers. So understanding that your online first impression these days is just as important as your 
in real life first impression? And do you have the right first impression online? And being thoughtful, much like we're talking about with your wardrobe, being thoughtful with the photos and what you post online so that you can make that right first impression. Now, here's an interesting question that we got. As a guy, I feel like I take more care to make a first impression with women than I do with men. Do you think men respond to body language like smiling and openness the same way that women do? Do you think women are more sensitive to some of these cues or are all people the same? That's an interesting question. I feel like I need to know more. Like, what is he trying to get out of women? Like, why is he being more mindful with women than men? Is I think that- as as a young man, and this is how the show started for us 11 years ago, we put a lot of emphasis on impressing the opposite sex. We don't really think about impressing our guy friends, right? You kind of have your friends from college. They happen to be a roommate or live down the street growing up. But as we hit adulthood and we start losing some of our friends to marriage, kids, their real lives and their focuses, and we start trying to make new friends well, we're not making great first impressions with other men. We're focused solely on, you know, getting that girlfriend or impressing the women that we don't realize that some of the body language signals that we're sending to the room, especially a room full of men, is that discomfort, is that I don't want to be here, or even abrasiveness. And we see this in our video work section in class where a lot of times we're not paying attention to our nonverbal signals of crossing our arms, furrowing our brow, and not wearing a smile that signifies openness. And it can be very off-putting as a guy. And we've talked about this, hosting people, having events at the house. And when we have a charity event at the house and we're looking around the room, we're trying to talk to people. Well, there are certainly guys giving off a closed-minded, closed-body language, a discomfort that makes me as a host not want to approach them or engage them. Well, I will say that men and women, as they get older, usually don't make friends with each other. I think that's across the board. Yeah. It's harder and harder to make friends as you get older unless you have something in common or a reason to. Yep. I find uh, that unless a, f- a group of friends are couples, that's when the couples, the men usually end up making friends because there's a reason for them to talk. But people aren't usually making friends anymore. Right. Well, we're trying I to change that. I think insecurity. I feel like there's a reason that they just don't think that people are interested. There's a lack of time. No one wants to be my friend. But And there's the emphasis of trying to impress the opposite sex, really. Yeah. I think women are definitely more mindful of a, a male's attention. Chivalry is not dead. Women certainly appreciate that. I notice it instantly. And I notice when it doesn't happen. I'm very attentive. I'll give an example. I was in an elevator two weeks ago after a yoga class. There was a small group of us in class. When I approached the elevator, gentleman was behind me. I pressed the button. Usually I would expect the gentleman to because I think it's more polite. I stepped into the elevator first because I was in front of him. Again, he pressed the button, but he cut in front of me to exit, which I find the most rude thing ever because a gentleman always lets a lady go first. So if he let me go first after you, that would be more mindful. So these things are noticed. So I think with first impressions and if that gentleman is being more kind to women, well done, sir. 
you will be married very soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, we see that though, where these guys have that one track of mind where they're just focused on impressing women. They could care less about the guys in the room. And it is off-putting. It is off-putting, but I think you should still pay attention and focus on being open to both sexes. Absolutely. Well, I want to address the question here. It's the, do you think men respond to body language, smiling and openness the same way that women do? Well, I'm I'm sure there's in, in specifics that are different, but I know that I know who of the guys in the room who are enjoying themselves, who are content, who are looking to offer value in that room, who are excited to be there, and who is looking to get the hell out of there. It's a very easy thing to to see, and we see it all the time. In fact, the body language and the and the stuff that we address on Wednesday and on Tuesday in your class is to allow everyone in that room to see you as a positive blip on the radar to where you are somebody that you want to interact with, that people are comfortable. Because if you put yourself in that that hole that you have to climb out of, it's going to be hard for you to get out, which is going to then have you paint the event that you're in as one of negativity that you don't want to be at because of how everyone is treating you because of the attitude that you brought in there in the very beginning. And. I can't tell you how many times I'm in a situation where I'm out with Amy, my girlfriend, and she has some single friends, and the guy will come over to interact with the girls and just straight up ignore me. And as a guy, right, as a guy, he's not paying attention to his first impression of me, much like this listener. He's like, why do I care about impressing other guys? Well, listen, the guys can be the gatekeeper, right? If the girl's boyfriends don't like you, well, you're not going to be able to hang out with a single (laughs) friend. So you definitely want to be conscious of your first impression with both men and women. It is not a one-way street. And it is a, a pretty twisted mindset that I only have to walk around impressing women. Right. It's like that one track mindset can can lose opportunities to make male friends, can lose business opportunities, being closed off towards men. When we see this at events, we tend to shy away from those guys. We don't want to interact with the guys who are looking uncomfortable. And we also don't want to interact with the guys who are just creepily hitting on women only and only focusing on women. I think it all comes back down to confidence. These men are in your classes because they lack confidence. It all comes back down to confidence. That's building really that it. Confidence building that important. confidence in themselves so they can feel confident to talk to other people. When women are mean to me, which happens often, especially being a stylist and going to these fashion events sure. with other bloggers and stylists and they're very off-putting to me, it's all because they're insecure within themselves. It really has nothing to do with me. Right. And I know that. So I'm always nice and serve them with a smile. But it really is, that's, that's what it is. It's the nature of the business. But it's really the unhappiness. So confidence. And what are guys from boot camp who graduate find that wearing that smile, having that open body language with everyone opens up so many other doors that they didn't realize were closed before that week. They didn't realize that they could get a free cup of coffee because they were giving value to the barista and being a warm, friendly person. They didn't realize that the door guy at their office has a story and he's a great guy because now they're wearing a smile coming in, being more open to these opportunities. So definitely pay close attention to your body language. Men and women respond well to smiling and openness. Ooh, I have a quick question for you both, which is interesting to me. Do you think that, because the three of us are from the Midwest, that we have the success with confidence and charm because we are Midwesterners? Because I find that it's been... We talk to everyone from the door guy to the barista. I mean, we, that's just how we are. Is that something you found successful here? 
You know, I think it's just depending on how you're raised. If if you grew up in a very working class family where your parents were very gregarious and you were always going to like certain events and you grew up in maybe a organization such as going to church events or any sort of, of social events that was always going on and you had a father or a mother who was like, you need to make sure that you look presentable. You need to make sure that you're open. And who will force you to go talk to the other kids that were there? It's a- ding, 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 ding. I feel like you just, I'm just sitting here realizing that we all have very similar backgrounds and our paths are very much aligned, which yeah. is very funny. Well, I do Aha feel moment. like a lot of that mindset leads to a career that's built around helping and coaching other people, Mm -hmm. right? If you're thoughtful and you're giving and you're considerate of other people, well, you'll make a great coach. You'll make a great person to help other people grow and change. And that's exactly what we're about. And those lessons, I feel, can be instilled anywhere in the world. I don't think the Midwest is special in that regard. And we have a number of clients from the Midwest who struggle in these areas. Mm And don't understand necessarily the value of paying attention to everyone, trying to look after other people and give value first instead of running around trying to take from others. To answer your question a little bit further, in this last part here, he asked, do you think women are more sensitive to these cues or are all people the same? And the the thing about it is if you work on yourself to make a better presentation, so I want to make sure that I always have open body language or I want to make sure that if I go into this event that I'm always smiling. Because you're working on yourself and these things are so aware on a conscious level for you, you're going to see them in, in other people. So if you've grown up in such a situation where your father or your mother always made you to be completely aware of what you're saying to the other people in these social events, then you're going to see another kid. So once you start working on yourself, everyone will be more sensitive to these. So if you're talking about going into a room with hyper-aware people who are, who are working on themselves to make a great first impression, you better believe they're sensitive to those cues because they've done the work on themselves. This is a question sent in from Tim. We know or have been told that most, if not all people, are more worried about themselves than they are about others. If people were wrapped up in their own drama, how much do we control the first impression we make and how much of it is just a reflection of the other person's personal issues at the moment? Are there any clues that indicate we've hit it off badly because of how we were presenting ourselves versus because that person is just in a bad mood or we've picked the wrong color to wear, et cetera? So thinking about, just as we were talking earlier, being thoughtful with that first impression, Tim's wondering, you know, is it really necessary or is a lot of this first impression just based off of the receiver and and not necessarily the signals that I'm sending? Well, you know, I think this goes back to the toolbox episode that we had done in that study that you had read, how that a lot of people's first impressions are going to be wrong because of whatever they have going on. But you certainly don't want to be adding to that or reinforcing it. And you want to make sure that you feel good about it. So you're not left worrying about it. And we talk about this all the time, put focus emphasis on what you can control Mm -hmm. and you can control your own presentation you can control the message that you're sending to the room. You're not going to be able to control or manipulate their thoughts or feelings about it. But if we focus on what we can control, then being thoughtful in this area to make sure we make a good first impression will overwhelm that person who's in a bad mood or will overwhelm that person who happens to not like purple. 
Yeah. Or racial bias. You can't worry <laughs> right. about those things. They're just so. things that ultimately we can't control them, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't focus on our own presentation. Yeah. Don't give them reasons to, to hate you. Sometimes people are just not going to like you. Right. So come as your best authentic self and be mindful of how you speak, how you come off, how you dress and your energy. It's really energy conquers everything. But being mindful of how they're being, how they're perceiving you. A lot of times people with autism don't respond and read the room. Yeah. Like if someone is a little bit more resistant to energy, they come off really loud and enthusiastic and they don't see that maybe someone is scared or not feeling them. So Reading their energy, if their arms are crossed, maybe crossing your arms too. If their arms are open, having your arms down too. So it's reading their body language and mirroring that is a great way to help gauge their energy and reflect their attention. Right. So that's a great way to help with first impressions besides just what you're wearing. And then... All the other ways that we talked about, the way you speak, the way you come off, and all that other stuff. So that's just another button to help with the first impressions. And then don't worry about it. Right. You you can't help what you can't change. Well, the other thing going with that, just imagine if you really hadn't done the work on yourself to make sure that you are making a good first impression. And if to rate yourself, you would say, well, probably a six or a seven on a scale of one to 10, I make a good first impression. That's probably what a lot of people would say if they haven't really done any work. Right. So you'd go to a networking event and a place where you need to make a good impression, a place that you've been looking forward to all week. And you go in there with your idea that you can make a decent six or a seven out of a 10 good first impression. What are you going to think when you get home? What kind of sleep are you going to get when you get home? Uh, how long before you have peace of mind that you've done as well as you could do? I mean, I certainly never wanted to have those those thoughts again of what is that person thinking of me? How did I come off? What happened? Why did they say this? Did I do something wrong? Well, if you haven't done the work on yourself, you're going to leave all those questions open and you are going to drive yourself batty. And the question, are there clues that indicate we've hit it off badly because of how we present ourselves versus because the other person is in a bad mood or we picked the wrong thing? Again, it's it's putting focus mm-hmm. on the other person and getting hung up on reading these things that really are very difficult to yeah. read. When we talk about reading body language, and we had this study earlier this month, people and their body language is not necessarily their intent. So understanding that crossed arms could mean closed, it could mean they're cold, right? So we can get so wrapped up in, oh, well, they crossed their arms, that must mean they don't like me. And now we start having self-defeating thoughts. And you're being reactive in the situation rather than proactive. So let's think about this. What is a better thought for Tim to have at the end of the day if he gave his best opportunity to connect with people in an event? Should he be thinking that it was his fault or should he be thinking that the person was in a bad mood? I argue he should choose, well, the person's in a bad mood and write it off than taking the blame and shouldering the blame for everything that's going on in this situation. If you start to assume the positive and think things are working in your favor, you're coming from a stronger place than assuming constantly that you're the one who's at fault, you're the one who's wrong. Yes, I tend to negative, I go sometimes negative space and I work really hard about changing my mindset. And so what I like to do is be proactive and do a follow-up 
Take it into your own hands. If you have their contact, email them. Hey, it was great meeting you. Mm -hmm. We connected on this point, this point, and this point. Hopefully we can connect again soon. I'm available for coffee this date. Because then you take control. And then you take it from there. Right. Because that's putting the ball in their court and saying that you follow up and follow up quickly. Within 24 hours. Because most people say, it was great meeting you, and then they never follow up. So taking the initiative into your own hands and following up and then making a purpose to to call and connect. And then you can see if you did make a great first impression because then they'll follow up and maybe they get busy and then you follow up again because that's creating authentic connection and taking the relationship a step further. And that's a great point to another question we get a lot is, what action can I take if I think I had a bad first impression? Following up being persistent, mm-hmm. letting the person know that you are someone of value and you have been engaged in listening and paying attention to these things. That follow-up is essential for you to overcome that bad first impression. Absolutely. And I love that 24-hour window because when we think about these networking events, when we think about just the rapid pace at which people are connecting, if you wait 48 hours, 72 hours, you email me a week later, Done. I'm in a different place. I don't, I don't remember that interaction we had. So capitalize on any momentum that you've been able to build. And if there's some negative momentum, following up can overcome that. And if it was negative or something happened or you spilled a drink, Offer to pay for their dry cleaning. Talk about how you stepped on her toe and how awkward it was. Hopefully your toe healed. Whatever. Make fun of whatever happened and that you're taking ownership of what happened. That's the confidence in being boss in your failures and using your pain as fuel. Uh, I wanted to add to that. If if you're not quite sure, but you err on the self-critical side, which happens all the time. We're programmed to do that. Try not to read into on assumptions of why it didn't go well, because you could sit there for days assuming all sorts of things. Move on. In fact, if you're worried about it, then there's work to do on yourself to make sure that doesn't happen again and that you do a better job next time. Couldn't agree more. Uh, So lastly, we have a question from Mike, and this sort of goes with the last one about perhaps not making that best first impression. But Mike says, I have a tendency to be conservative in my rigid in my thinking, which causes me to judge people very harshly. I know that I'm doing this. So what steps can I take so I'm not so judgmental? So understanding that you're judgmental is a great place. This is a great place. Because a lot of people don't even realize that until some life event happens. Maybe they get some negative feedback from work, a relationship ends, but a lot of people don't even realize that they're rigid in their thinking and very judgmental and write people off easily. So that's a great first step, at least understanding that we have an issue. And to go along with that, being judgmental is it's has evolutionary purposes to keep us safe, to see other people, to ward off so to not get us in danger. So that is going to put us in a place to easily be judgmental. That's why we do it. So if you can understand that it's a natural programming in me and, and I'm going to do that, then if you bring that thought, those thoughts to a conscious level, you can realize it and stop yourself. Oh, that's me being judgmental again. I should give this person more of a, of an opportunity. And what's funny about this is, you know, not, it's not only that, conservative people can be rigid and they're thinking and judgmental. So could very liberal people be rigid and judgmental and they're thinking as well. I have tons of rocker friends who were like, look at that guy. He's a square. Well, have you ever talked to that person? Do you know anything about that person? Well, no, I could just tell you can't tell anything. You're being judgmental. 
The other thing I want to talk about here, which is important when we start thinking about being judgmental, is forced openness, going out and seeking new experiences and new challenges that give you an opportunity to interact with more people. You've raised awareness that you have an issue, so now let's force openness by taking on a new challenge, chasing a new hobby, learning something, and through that process, you're going to be meeting new people because you're seeking help from someone else to get better at something, whether it's taking a class, going to a meetup event, trying to learn. So when you force that openness, you force these interactions, you're going to start, as Johnny said, to realize that a lot of those first thoughts you had, those assumptions were coming from a negative place and you can work through them. And I know I've become more open just working with the diverse backgrounds of the guys who've come through the boot camp. Absolutely. You know, in the, the living room where we teach the class, sitting on the couch, we have such a wide diversity in religious backgrounds, the way they were raised, mindsets, their career choices, education. And through that diversity and interacting with people, I've opened more. And Johnny would laugh and go, well, you went to a liberal school and you're pretty open, but I know that I've opened even more through interacting with that diversity in our clients. So forcing that openness to change that point of view, putting yourself in new experiences is one of the ways to break out of that rigidity and start creating some openness in your life. I would say when you are thinking those thoughts, writing them down, and then actively pursuing something related to those thoughts. So if it's a particular person, then reaching out to that group of individuals to find something related to that person. That's what I would be more specific about. Yeah, I think when you understanding that that all of us have our, our good tendencies and oh, our bad yeah. tendencies. And I think the people who are able to make the most change are the people who get comfortable and really get to know the worst parts of themselves so that they're able to identify them, know when they're thinking in that way. You know, it's funny because recently we just had Jesse Itzler on the show and he has, he has named his bully, right? His bully is named Billy. And when any time that he is being mean to himself or 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 beating himself up, it's that's Billy who's doing that, and somebody has come to know really well so that he can stop Billy from doing those terrible things. And I think, you know, it's important to get in, in touch with the worst parts of yourself so that you can acknowledge them and move forward and push push them aside or deal with them as necessary. And I know you're a huge fan of mindfulness, yeah. and, and this is where it comes in, yeah. right? The process of journaling, writing these thoughts down, allowing you to actually just get them out of your system and realize that, you know, these are just thoughts I have. I don't need to give them as much value as I have been giving them by holding on to them. And then trying some meditation practices where you really focus on being more mindful, being more aware of your thoughts and the emotions tied to those thoughts and how they can be steering you in this negative direction yeah. when you don't want them to. I think a lot of people, when they hear meditation, we're going to get into this in a mm -hmm. future episode, it's a scary thought of being mindful. I don't want to confront these thoughts. This listener has obviously realized that there's an issue. So working through these thoughts, mindfulness is a great way to do that. Yeah, just really writing it down and acknowledging it and to work through it is the best way. It's hard for somebody to think of themselves in a certain way and have these negative or or self-defeating thoughts and then why am i doing this why am i thinking this way don't listen it's just part of being a human being so learn ways of dealing with it and working through it rather than trying to 
beat yourself up because that you have them. And I, as I yeah. said, the better you get to know the worst parts of yourself, the easier it is to to deal with it, work through whatever you need to do. I actually like this listener for even being honest and saying it. Putting it out there into the world is acknowledging it in itself. Yeah, sure. So that's really And being vulnerable. I know being it's vulnerable. not easy to own that. A lot of people like to walk through this world and ignore it with blinders. And so Absolutely. That's the first step. We support you, buddy. Thank you to everyone who sent in emails, voicemails, and messages on social media at The Art of Charm. And thank you to our in-studio guest, Melissa Chatain, who is promoting her own 21-day style and confidence challenge. Where can the listeners find more about you, Melissa? Ah, you can follow me on Instagram at Chatain Style, spelled C-H-A-T like Tom, A-I, G like George, N-E, style, and you can Follow more about me on my blog, ChatainStyle.com, and my website, MelissaChatain.com. And you can work with me virtually as well for all the listeners that are overseas at MelissaChatain.com and learn more about my services there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Today, we have Antonio Centeno, the founder of Real Men, Real Style, a huge YouTube channel that I even go to for fashion advice. Today, he was kind enough to spend some time answering our questions as well as some listener questions. Antonio, welcome to the show. The first question we have is very basic. What are the most common mistakes you see men making with their personal style? The most common mistake is that guys don't give a damn. And they honestly don't care. And for me, this is where it all starts. If you don't care, then you're not going to go through any effort. I mean, if a man's hungry, what does he do? He feeds himself. He goes and he make, gets a sandwich or he goes and he orders a pizza. Well, he does something. And if you don't have some type of emotional connection of why you want to dress better. Maybe you want to make more money. Maybe you want to just simply attract more people. You, you want to come off as more attractive. If you don't have and you don't make that connection, then that right there is the biggest mistake. It's the biggest problem and it's the hardest barrier to overcome. And when it comes to not putting in enough effort, what are some of the red flags that you see that are noticeable from a distance? If a guy hasn't thought about it, then you know he's not putting in enough effort. But what I see from a distance, usually the number one mistake is the fit of the clothing. And that right there, you can see from a distance because the silhouette just looks like a circle versus the fact <laughs> that this guy has actually goes to the gym. He takes care of himself. He's in great shape. But instead of us seeing that, you know, basically an upside down triangle that shows off his shoulders, shows off his arms, shows his lean torso, all of a sudden we see a guy that looks like if there was to be a stiff wind, he would get the fabric would get caught up and he would he would get blown away. So fit is definitely key when picking out your clothes. Are there some tips you have around finding the right fit in the store? I know a lot of times when we're shopping as men, especially we're just in such a hurry to get out of there that sometimes we'll take the store clerk's ideas as, yeah, that looks great and just buzz off. Well, even to go along with that, I, you know, I don't think men are even leaving their house anymore to, to get to the store to be able to put things on. A lot of the shopping, even myself included, is now done online, which also makes it very difficult. And, I, and, and a lot of men, when they get to the, hitting the purchase button, they're like, well, I don't know if it's going to fit. Ah, screw it all. So any tips and for that side of it as well? 
Well, you know, Johnny, I'm thinking, you know, I've seen a few of your pictures. We haven't met in person, but I'm thinking that if you were in London, you would love to walk into the John, John Varvatos. Oh, of course. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's freaking awesome. It's amazing. And if that's the thing is that you need to make it enjoyable. You need to understand, okay, what is getting back to that first point about what's your why? What's driving you? Why do you want to actually make this improvement? Because you want to send that message. You want to look great. You want to walk on that stage and and just command respect. You want to walk into that room and dominate. You want to be able to walk into that bar and for every person to turn their head. And I can tell you, if you go to a store that you resonate with, you're not going to want to leave. And you're going to walk in and... Now, what's interesting about the John Varvato store is when you walk in, they have a very select number of items. And oftentimes, like I remember I found this jacket. I love beautiful jacket, but they didn't have it in my size. And they only had three sizes right there on the floor. Now they had great customer service. They could order it, have it shipped to me. You know, if I wanted to pay, I think it was like $3,000 for that jacket. So it was a little bit pricier of a jacket. It was a great looking jacket though. But the point is when you walk into a store, the reason most men don't like the shop is they look at this store and they see thousands and thousands of pieces of clothing, none of which actually really calls to them, but what they're, they're overwhelmed. So the easiest thing I find to do is to walk in knowing what your measurements are, not your size, your measurements. Because have you ever, have you ever bought something and Hey, I'm a medium and you try it on and it doesn't fit you, but I'm a medium or this should have fit me. And that's the problem is that manufacturers, retailers, they've thrown all this together and they kind of, you know, unless it's a high-end store, you're going to have to parse through all that clothing and be able to identify, you know, really what's even going to fit you. So the first thing for me is to realize when you see that vast landscape of all that clothing, understand that only three to 4% of items in there are actually going to fit you. And there's a little bit of freedom in that because all of a sudden you realize, well, I know what my measurements are. I know what my size is. You can go, you know, grab someone to assist you if, you know, (laughs) if it's a store that has somebody and you can actually find items that fit you, but you basically can ignore everything else. Now you may find something you like and you may actually ask if they have it in your size, but when you take a piece of clothing down and you say, okay, I know that on my best fitted shirt across the shoulders. It's 18 inches. I know down the sleeve length, it's about 23 inches. And I know maybe in the torso, if I lay it across, it's 22 inches. So you could go in there, ask for a tape measure, and you're able to quickly identify, okay, a medium for this company actually is a pretty good fit for me. So I'm only going to look for mediums with shirts in this store for this company. And that's where, that's how I find that just being able to eliminate a lot of, you know, 95% of the clothing out there because it doesn't fit you allows you the freedom to zero in on that 5% and not, not feel that overwhelmed. And when we're shopping at home and we're trying to figure out what works for us, I know one of the things that I do in that situation is I sort of order a few sizes and, and look for the stores that have free returns so that I can cover myself in case the sizing is off. Because I've found that a lot of brands, you know, they try to allow you to feel good. So they make their medium and actual large in another brand. So the sizing that you get off the rack or even online can be a little tricky. So knowing your measurements helps both in-store and online. Oh yeah. And and a lot of stores are smart about this. They actually will put the exact measurements of the clothing. It's something whenever I work with a brand, I try to tell them, hey, you're going to reduce 
returns. If you simply are more clear about what the measurements are, be able to show, you know, a lot of them are really smart. This model that's wearing this, he is five foot 11. He weighs 190 pounds and they actually get a better picture of what the fit is. And I think clothing and fit is always going to be one of those things that there's going to be some friction. And simply because I'll tell you, I owned a clothier and I had twin, a twin that bought a suit from me. And his twin, who was basically, you know, the same weight, same height, actually didn't like the clothing that I made, although the one I made it for liked it because he felt it was too tight. It was too close to his body. The other one loved it. And there wasn't, they were within a couple pounds of each other. But really the issue was, is that one gentleman liked his clothing to fit closer to the body. The other one liked a looser fit. It wasn't a bad fit for the one that would borrow his brother's clothing uh, when he needed that suit, but it was something that he just wasn't used to it. He was unfamiliar with the fit he was trying to get his body into. And what I can tell you, when clothes fit you properly, they stick around. I feel like a lot of people end up getting rid of clothes because they bought it haphazardly, it didn't fit, and then they never actually wore it and felt good in it. And it's just hanging in their closet months, even years later versus clothes that actually fit. I was joking a little bit earlier that I still wear the tailored shirt that you made for us. And it fits like a glove, which is amazing because so many items right now off the rack don't fit you that well. They fall in that 95% category. It's funny you bring up that shirt because I made that for you like a decade ago. And uh, (laughs) it just goes to show, hey, you've actually either stayed in shape or when I made it for you, you were a lot smaller. But in any case, you definitely are (laughs) – You, it just goes to show when you have something that you love, it stays in your closet till you literally wear it out. And I think that's where I want to get most men to have a closet that when you look at it, you've got items in there and you're having to make a choice between – I love this. I like. I really like that. Oh, that looks great. Oh my gosh, I haven't worn this forever. I and this is like reserved. It seems like for if, if you talk to guys about this in our the American culture, it seems like oh that's that should be reserved for women to love and to enjoy their clothing. And, and you know, I'm not going to say you know I'm not taking a stance here. I am going to say though, it's not about the clothing. It's about you. It's about the message you send to the world. And why not? be able to put on a suit of armor, whether that be a t-shirt that fits you perfectly or a suit that fits you perfectly. And when you put it on, you feel great. You know, you look great. It flatters your body. It actually makes you look stronger, makes you look more competent. Yes, clothing, wearing certain colors, wearing certain pieces can actually make you look smarter. It can make you look stronger. It can make you look more masculine. All of this can be used to get what you want out of life. I don't know, you know, I I know that the people listening here, you know, they're successful, they're consultants, they're up and coming lawyers. They've got things going on in their life. They want to use nonverbal communication. They want to use the art of charm to get what they want out of life. And clothing is, if you approach it like a tool, a very useful tool. It's like, I got a favorite hammer. Uh, This hammer I've had for 20 years, paid, you know, a little bit more money than the average hammer for, but it is just, it's a great hammer. It's got a really long uh, handle. So, you know, when you swing it, man, this thing will, it will nail that. It it will put that nail down. But it's something that I invested once in something that really is is a nice tool. And I use it again and again. So look at your clothing as a tool and it will help open up doors bring the bring you opportunity that you couldn't that you wouldn't have seen if you weren't dressed in that particular manner 
That's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that we had discussed in one of the beginning episodes to this whole theme of first impressions is the better your first impression, the bigger of window opportunity that you're going to have. And if if somebody's going to listen to the Art of Charm podcast to learn some tools to make that window of opportunity a lot better, well, then they should also put some care into what they're wearing as well. Because why go through all this work if, they're, if the, what they're wearing is just going to close that window that they've worked so hard to open? Yeah, and it's, you know, the first impressions are interesting because it's not about you. It's about the <laughs> other person being right yeah. or wrong. And people, you guys know this, you've talked with some amazing people over here, you know, on your podcast, but people like to be right. People have a high opinion of themselves. And when they judge you, which we all do, it's just something natural. It's using, you know, that going back to the lizard brain, those really quick decisions versus the long decisions that, you know, we actually think through. No, we make that quick judgment. I don't like this person or be wary of this person or I'm not sure about this person or what she, you know, what, what is she doing over there? You know, some guy's walking up, uh, you know, approaching you and your family and his hands are going all over the place. He, I mean, from a distance, he looks like this guy is high on drugs and you're about <laughs> to move your family to the other side till you realize, oh, it's, it's an actor and he's practicing his lines. Now it was dark, but you made a decision and you went toward, what do people do? They, we always know that they want to go towards the type of decision, which is going to be the safer decision. The one that if they, you know, if they were wrong, oh, well, you know that, but if they were wrong and they did not move over and he this was a drug addict who was, you know, had, had a knife, all of a sudden that could lead to a very bad. So people are always making these default decisions, which if you know that, you can leverage it to your advantage to wear that suit. Not that you may view a suit as a costume. You may have grown up in a commune and you may be a hippie at heart. But when you realize that, okay, wearing this, when I walk into the bank and if I really nail this, I'm going to be able to get that $5 million loan so I can so I can start that business, start that nonprofit and do accomplish mission, do what I want to do. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, people, if you're going to go into business with them, they want to know that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make something work, which goes to including the dress up to go for the pitch. And you brought up a really interesting point. The shirt was made, I believe, nine years ago now, and it does still fit me. And this was what was so intimidating getting started because I had this idea that tailored is tailored so that if I gain five pounds, I'm screwed. If I lose 10 pounds, it's not going to fit anymore. And in wearing the shirt, you know, my arm length has not changed in 10 years. I stopped growing when I was about 15 years old. My neck has gone a little bit, but it goes in and out. It's still within a 10 pound range. So if I gain 10 pounds or lose 10 pounds, I can still button that top button. So I think a lot of people are intimidated by this idea of tailored clothing because they see their weight and they see this change in their body as being, oh, I'm not gonna be able to wear these clothes anymore. When it's actually the opposite, a good tailored item should last you because it is dialed in to the exact measurements that you are and will maintain for most of your adult life. I like to think in terms of value. And when you wear something that's tailored to your body, whether you are five foot nine, 150 pounds or five foot nine, 250 pounds, you know, it's something that can instantly send a signal that, yeah, you may be a big guy or you may be a thin guy, but you are a guy that pays attention to the details and you can look maybe large and in charge versus looking fat and sloppy. And I love the idea that this is an instant change. It's something that you can put on and within 24 hours, within 48 hours, 
you can start getting compliments. And that's the true value of the clothing is how it makes you feel. An entire science called Enclothed Cognition. And it talks about the effects of what we wear on our performance. The classic study uh, coming out of Northwestern, uh, they talked about how you had this population, let's say 100, and 50 people were given white jackets and they were told it they were doctor jackets. The other 50, they were told they were painter smocks. And so the guys, they then took an exam. And if you were wearing what you thought to be a doctor's jacket, you performed statistically higher on that exam. And the only thing they, I mean, the only thing that changed was that you, you, they basically felt that you were more conscious, you were more observant, you were more careful in your decision-making process. And it just goes to show that if you wear the right clothing, whether or not you're giving a presentation, whether or not you're walking in and you're talking to your boss, or it just makes you feel more confident. It can make you feel better versus the wrong item. If you're really conscious or you're really worried about how this looks, all of a sudden you become distracted and it can and will affect your performance. With this overwhelm around wardrobe, especially price, I know updating your wardrobe can be a scary thought for some guys of, wow, I'm gonna have to spend a lot of money. Are there some areas that you see as bargains or wins where you can save money on your wardrobe versus those items that provide value where you should really splurge? Well, first off, let's put this in a historical perspective. We are spending less on our clothing than we have ever spent in, in, in recorded history. You go back 200 years ago, custom clothing was the norm because everyone made their own clothing. Families, you know, couldn't afford to go buy clothing out there. You made it. And it is something that we've now, you know, we get used to the price of disposable clothing at Target or Walmart that we go in, we wear a few times, we wash and it falls apart. I do recommend that you set aside a little bit larger of a budget for nice clothing and own less, own better. And when you do this, it's like anything. When you go out there and you spend good money, whether it be on $10,000 for training or maybe $50,000 for you know, your first little bit nicer car, all of a sudden you realize you take care of it. You are more careful with it. You watch it. If you give somebody something for free, they treat you, they treat it like they just don't treat it well. But if they pay a little bit, they have skin in the game, all of a sudden they treat it better. They're more conscious, more careful. So when it comes to you know spending money, again, shift that mindset and think, okay, I'm going to spend a little bit more, but I'm going to own less. I'm going to own better. And then once you have started to, you've got that, then you can, easy wins again is to have that base uniform. Um, you can go into any box store and you can find actually, I think, a decent suit. If you understand that, hey, I'm going to focus first on fit. I'm going to focus then on function. And last, I will focus on the fabric. Now, fit, function, fabric. That's my style pyramid. But I would say that fabric I'll put last because that often is, and I what I mean by fabric is not only the material it's made from, but the quality of the build. You can find things that fit you. You can find things that functionally serve the purpose of sending the message you want to send. And oftentimes where we pay the wide variety in price is going to be, you know, the the fabric, the material, the craftsmanship. You can find a great looking white t-shirt for, I would say, 15 bucks. You just gonna, you're going to have to spend time. You're going to have to go out there and hunt and look. But you can find a brand that works for you. Buy multiples. It'll look good. But there are t-shirts out there that cost 150 bucks that yes, are, are going to look a little bit better, but you're paying really for the fabric, for the build, for maybe the name brand that comes with the same thing with suits. 
you're going to find, you know, from suits, sports jackets, jeans, all of them. We've got a wide range, but I think Levi's, you know, another great company, which maybe some, you know, fashion gene, uh, you know, aficionados are, are going to turn their no- nose up against, but Hey, they, they built, they built the entire industry and to this day still have a great product. Um, when it comes to suits, um, you know, again, you're, you can find some great deals for 150 bucks, especially if it's on sale in a department store, a big box store, they'll, they'll still have some great deals. Or it may be something that, hey, you're ready to step it up and you don't want to spend time looking. You want a unique fabric. You want something that has a one of a kind build. So you're going to go out there and spend, you know, $1,500 on that sports jacket. Antonio, for the guys out there who are looking for an upgrade, who would like a nice fit and a nice build and, and decent fabric, but are willing to put away, put aside the, the brand name, is there any labels that brands that speak out to you that they should look to first? You know, it's hard. I, I've got, you know, tons of sponsors I would love to plug, but I do think that uh, finding a small brand that's up and coming and that maybe isn't a household name. I, I find are some of the best deals out there. So whether it's a belt company, whether it's a jean company, whether it's a shirt company, you know, looking. But I do think one thing that I think you kind of alluded to is if you're hard to fit and if you don't care about label or if you just don't care about label and you want something made exactly to you, look custom. There are so many options out there when it comes to shirts, when it comes to nice trousers, when it comes to suits. Uh, shirts are an easy way to start. And I think that really there's, there's companies out there that they have a perfect fit guarantee. And literally the only thing you have to risk is the money that you're spending. Uh, because with that perfect fit guarantee, a lot of them don't like to, they don't want to return you the money. They would rather remake you the shirt because they know if they show you the power of a great fitting shirt and you try it on, you wear it, you love it. You're going to go out there and end up buying 10 shirts. Cause then you realize, Oh wow, I've got access to 500 different fabrics, which if you think about it from a numbers uh, point of view, when you walk into that store that has, let's say, a thousand shirts, and assuming that five, only five percent are actually going to fit you, so that's fifty shirts out of a thousand shirts, and then out of that fifty, we've only got five to uh, maybe well, we got ten out of that fifty. We've got ten because you got five in each size, and then out of that ten, you maybe only like three. So really, you only had like 10 and, or the styles were different. So you had like five real options in the, out of a thousand shirts, which is crazy. But with custom, you actually start off with the options. So you've got, let's say 500 fabric options and because they're all going to fit you perfectly. That's a given it's custom. And then all of a sudden you start going into, and that's why I just love custom because you can be overwhelmed with choice in custom, but it's something that it's a good overwhelm if you know that, okay, initially everything's going to fit me right. So now it's just a matter of what fabric do I want to go with? How do I want to change up the style features from the cuff to the collar to all the other details? We know summer is approaching and I know Johnny and I, we will not be found dead in shorts outside of a gym, but for those guys in summer who want to wear shorts, a question we get often is, you know, what is the appropriate footwear with shorts in summer? And along with that, obviously, what length socks or should I wear socks at all? So I like no show socks, but I know some guys prefer. So I'm not going to say there's anything right. I mean, you can rock whatever you want. You know, I would say sandals that expose the toes are always going to be very, very casual and they're great wear maybe for the beach, but off the beach, maybe you would want to look at another option out there, but Hey, I'm not going to, you know, it's just when you wear shorts in general, this is a very 
casual look. I cannot dress up. I mean, there are guys I've seen wear dress shoes with their shorts. I've seen guys wear suits or a suit jacket with shorts and that's on fashion runways. I'm not going to say you can't do that, but I am going to say that anything you pair with shorts is going to be casual. It's a chain. And if you'd imagine a chain, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And if you're looking to put together an outfit and stand out, shorts are one of those things that it's harder to do. Now, if you are going to wear shorts, consider going with non-cargo shorts. I love a good pair of cargo shorts. When I go to Disneyland with my kids and I need room to be able to hold waters and it's 105 degrees, I get it. You know, in that case, go for it. But most of us are not needing those extra pockets and that it just makes it makes casual even more casual. And if you are going to look at a material, I do like, a, you know, a solid, like a light gray, a stone, a khaki. So in that case, may, wearing this maybe with a polo, you could wear untucked. Some guys are even going to tuck them, but you know, I know a lot of guys don't like that look. But that right there, it's a smart look. But what to wear with actually for shoes, sneakers, I, I think there's a wide variety, but there's a difference between what are known as running shoes and actually nicer leather sneakers that uh, are going to have like a little bit more of a designer look. There's so many other options out there. Uh, and I am not the expert on sneakers. I like boat shoes. I've got about three pairs of boat shoes that I could rotate through. Also driving mock driving shoes, but more for driving, uh, not really meant for, you know, walking in and putting a lot of miles on. So does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. So outside of looking more muscular, Maybe I'm feeling a little bit larger. How do I slim myself down with my wardrobe? I, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but don't shoot yourself in the foot and draw attention to your midsection. So you want to create a monochromatic look, and that's where the eyes easily go up and down. The easiest way to do this is to wear trousers and jackets that are similar in color, or if they're going to go for, you know, may, but maybe, hey, I don't always want to wear like a dark blue shirt, shirt with a dark blue pair of jeans. Okay, well, you could change it up, maybe wear a shirt that has a very uh, strong pattern in it, something that uh, I have this one that has like a red pin uh, stripe uh, check. And actually from a distance, it somewhat looks solid, but that right there is going to allow the eyes to go up and down. So again, we're focused on what other people are seeing. You're not going to slim yourself up by wearing something monochromatic, but if you wear shoes that look really good and maybe have a little bit of a heel, that's also going to help you make uh, look taller. Boots are a great option. I know a lot of guys, especially down south, love their western boots. I've got friends that go country western dancing out in California. You wear these western boots, boom, two and a half, three inches. All of a sudden, that trims you up. Well, we're going to get to our question about boots, but I have one last question around dressing to hide something. How do I dress to hide my age? Maybe I'm feeling a little bit older and I want to dress a little bit younger. What can I do to hide some of my age? Well, I, first I would dress your age and dress, send the message you want to send. Cause there's a lot of guys in their fifties that are still dressing like they did in their twenties. And maybe they were big into heavy metal, metal rock and they've got that REO speed dragon uh, t-shirt. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem there is that it's just accentuating the fact that it's, it's like a festering wound that like, man, you need to pay attention. Now that same guy, why does, you know, if you look at Johnny, who's your favorite, like, let's say aging rock star who Keith Richards, maybe, or. Yeah. When it comes to dress, I think Joe Perry, Steven Tyler, yeah, Mick Jagger, awesome. Keith Richards. Like I just saw an interview with Steven Tyler on Joe Rogan the other day and he looked amazing from his accessories to the vest he had on, the shirt, the glasses. 
Uh, he looked fantastic. Um, I get it. It was, but it was still very rock and roll. Yeah, and they own that look, and it's they pay attention to it. He knows what goes into it, and that's the key. I mean, dressing your age. I'm not going to say that like if you're over the age of 50, you got to start dressing a certain way. No, it's like understand what you want to send to the world and then own that look. I think when a man starts to look old or he start really an old man is a tired man, in my opinion. He's tired of life. He's given up. And there are guys in their mid they're mid twenties who maybe they've gone through a divorce. Maybe they've just lost a job and they look old because they just have given up. They're not caring. They, they may, that suit may wait, fit them relatively well, but the way that they droop their shoulders down, the way that they, they, they talk and they walk with no confidence that right there to me makes a man look old. And then you see someone, like you said, like, you know, the, the guys over at Aerosmith, I mean, they, they, they're just amazing. And, and yep. again, they've got the energy and they still carry a look, which you would think is a young man's look. Yeah. And you, I just loved what you just said there. An old man is a tired man. And, you know, we see that a lot of times where a, a guy in uh, midlife and, and he looks like he's been hit over the back of the head with a shovel and he just may look up. At, yeah. And he may look at me or some of the other guys in the room and say, wow, you guys look so young. Well, it's because there's a lot of energy left for life, and and it shows, and through posture, through smiling, and it all impacts that first impression. We are huge fans of boots, and we talk a lot about it in class and how it helps your posture. It allows you to stand up taller and and look more authoritative. If you've never purchased a pair of boots, and literally before the show, I was just purchasing a pair of chuckas, so I'm on my fourth pair of boots now, thanks to Johnny. He converted me from sneakers to boots. If I've never purchased a pair of boots, should I? And how do I know which pair to get? It feels like there's so many different options, Chelsea's, chuckas, et cetera. Yeah, boots are awesome. And you go back, you look at the history of boots. It's all about the heel and it's about being able to stay up in a saddle. So the only people that wore heeled shoes were nobility. We're going back, you know, to, I know, 1500s in the French. There was some crazy stuff going on with like really high heels. But the idea was nobility wore heels because they had to stay in the saddle on a horse. Another thing with interesting about boots, especially Western boots, is they have no laces on them. The reason being is if you fell out of the saddle, you should slip right out of the boot so you don't get dragged and killed by the horse. Now, we're a ways removed from that, but it is something that find something that resonates with you. I grew up in Midland, Texas, and I was surrounded. I'm not a cowboy, but I did ride horses, and I know my way around horses, and I can wear a pair of Lucases with confidence because I practice wearing them, and it's just something that I connect with. But maybe you're from London. Well, look at the Chelsea boot. That's something made popular by the Beatles, actually has a big history back with the Cuban heel. I mean, there's just so many interesting things. If you're big into dancing, there's a wide variety of different dancing boots that you could try. Maybe you're a more of a construction guy. Well, guess what? There's a wide variety of boots out there, you know, from go over, check out Red Wing to over to, you know, just more of like the, the work dress boot, something that's going to be laced up. There are, you're right. There's so many options. So the easiest way is to look at where you come from, look at something you would feel confident wearing, but I actually have the same thing. I've got like five to six pairs of boots, all different styles uh, from a Chelsea that requires no laces. I can slip on and off when I'm traveling through the airport. It can be dressed up with a suit down to casual boots that I get to wear with jeans pretty much every day. 
each culture has its boot, you know. As much as hip-hop is predicated on tennis shoes and things like that, uh, they have their Timberlands and, and, and boots specific to that genre of music. And so, to, of course, Chelsea Johnny's boot. got his Beatle boots on. Exactly. Here in the studio, I just slipped off my Chelsea boots, so we are big fans of boots. Speaking our language there. Quick question for you before we wrap Boxers, briefs, or boxer briefs? It feels like everyone has their thoughts. What are your thoughts on underwear? Or are you commando right now? No, I'm a big boxer brief fan, so I just like the fit. I, I like the way they look on my body. My wife likes them as well. So your partner's tastes have a big role in your underwear selection. That's a very good plan. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to have, I mean, they're, they're, boxers, I, I was with boxers for the longest time. I never, tidy whities just wasn't my deal, uh, you know, especially whenever I turned 18 and was able to get out of the house and buy everything for myself. But, uh, you know, it really depends. I mean, if I'm going to be hitting the gym, if I'm going to be out running, I do want support. So I will look for something that, uh, that you know, fits well down there. And that's one of the things I look for. Thank you so much, Antonio, for helping our listeners handle some of their style issues. I know it's been informative for me and Johnny. Yes. And now we're going to go out and look for some more tailored clothing, take our measurements, and buy another pair of boots. AJ, Johnny, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Big thanks to our in-studio style expert, Melissa Chatain, and to Antonio Centeno, who was generous with his time in answering some of our style questions for men. We'll put their social media contacts in the show notes below. As we noted earlier, we would love your feedback on the new formula of digging deep into topics for the whole month. So hit us up on our social media accounts, The Art of Charm, and email aj at theartofcharm.com or myself, Johnny, at theartofcharm.com, and let us know. And today I want to give a number of shout-outs. Two of our boot camp alumni, Ben and Juan, sent us their video testimonials about how they're doing now that a few months have passed since their boot camps, and they're amazing, really touching. Thank you, guys. We're grateful to be part of your journey. Juan and Ben both told us about the importance of community and continuing to integrate the principles we teach at ASC and a great way to connect with others to be accountable is to join our AOC Challenge Facebook group. It's free and it's for men and women. So sign up at theartofcharm.com slash challenge and register today. And for the guys out there who really want to up their game and get coaching directly from me and Johnny, sign up for an AOC bootcamp. Go to theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And as we said recently, we're going to launch a bootcamp program for women later this year. The Art of Charm isn't just for guys, so stay tuned for more details. Finally, we want to thank our team, Sean on Audio, David, who provided much of the research for our First Impressions show, and our show producer, John. Thanks again for listening, and a big thank you to our sponsors. Tune in in July when we explore the topic of building interest. Have a great week, everyone. Yeah.